to get the blessings that God has promised to you. But we're not going to meet you at the door and check you out and see if you gave all the money you were supposed to give. That's between you and God. But I want to turn and uh, let's start today in Luke chapter 2 and verse 7. I want to read a verse of scripture beginning there and show you that many of our traditions, many of our traditions, you know, well, I meant, excuse me, Mark 7, 13, I'm sorry. I uh, had one thing written down and wanted to start with something else. Mark chapter 7, verse 13, if you will, please. A lot of the traditions, a lot of the things that we have been taught have kept us from receiving the blessings of God like we should. Now, a lot of the traditions that have been passed down to us, they were passed down to us with good intentions and people fully wanted what was best and what they thought was right. But a lot of times we have um, stopped short, really, of what the Bible truly teaches in some of these things. I wanted to start off with this uh, in Mark chapter 7, verse 13, making the word of God of none effect through your tradition, which you have delivered, and many such like things do you. Is there anything in the world more powerful than the word of God? The easy answer is no. The true answer is traditions of men can stop the Word of God from working. And I want, to, I want to deal with that. I want to start off by looking at another perspective of, the, of Jesus Himself, of His birth, of the conditions surrounding His birth. Now we're talking about... We're talking about today reversing the curse. I know a lot of people who have spent all of their lives, as long as I've known them, battling the demon of poverty. They live way below where they should be. It is a constant battle for them. They hardly ever have enough to do what they need to do. And I want to help us today to get to the place that we can get beyond that and we can begin to realize the blessings that God has laid aside for His people. Now, um, our eyes certainly should have been open to it by now. First of all, let's look at um, the fact how, how poor really was Jesus. Because I know that our, our normal thought processes is that Jesus was very poor. I'm going to deal with all of this now, so don't get ahead of me. Jesus was very poor. He had nothing. He never had anything. And I want us to let's look a little bit closer at what some of these verses of Scripture say. Let's start in, uh, Luke, Luke, chapter, um, let's start in Luke chapter 2, verse 16. And let's say, and they came with haste and found Mary and Joseph and the babe lying in a manger. Now that's proof of the fact that Jesus was born in a manger, in a barn. So we see a level of poverty surrounding his birth. But is that really all that there is? 
If you look in Luke chapter 2 in verse 7, look at what it says. She brought forth her firstborn son and wrapped him in swaddling clothes and laid him in a manger. Why? Because there was no room for them in the inn. Number one, swaddling clothes is not rags. Swaddling clothes is the wrappings and the blankets that Mary had with her to wrap her newborn child. I know every time all three of our children were born, my wife always packed a a little luggage. She was going to carry something. You had to have something for the baby to come home in. So swaddling clothes, we've been led to believe that Mary kind of looked her all around in that stable and tried to find some pieces of rags or whatever that she could wrap Jesus in and bring him home. Well, if you look up the word swaddling clothes, it, it is not about a poor piece of material that's hardly worth anything. Mary simply wrapped him in the clothes of that day, which would be a long blanket type thing, wrapped him in swaddling clothes and laid him in a manger. And look at that next phrase, because that tells an awful lot about Jesus' birth. He was in the barn because there was no room for them in the inn. They went to get a motel room in our way of thinking. Don't shoot me. Look at what the Word says. Because there was no room for them in the inn, it didn't say they didn't have any money to get a motel room. It said there was no room for them in the inn. Jesus was born in a barn because man was not ready to give room for him in their life. So we know then the fact that the plans in all likelihood were, we're going to go and we're going to get a room. Uh, You know, it's it's not going to be like the motels that that we stay in, though I've stayed in some I think would probably qualify. But that's not the normal thinking here. But you need to read the rest of that scripture. Yes, he was born in a manger. Yes, he was wrapped in swaddling clothes. But he was born in a barn because there was no rooms available. You ever been in a motel and you wanted a room and there were none available? Well, I discovered through the years, they always have one or two uh, put aside, you know, for special VIPs. I never did qualify, so I was one of the ones that didn't get the room. But I wanted you to see that because it's, it's interesting here if we'll look at the whole picture of what we're talking about. Now, now we like the idea of saying that Jesus was so poor And you know, the only way you can effectively minister in the kingdom of God, you have to be poor. If you have any substance of all, you need to apologize because you're supposed to be poor if you're going to work in the kingdom of God. But you remember now, when Jesus needed money, he sent Peter to catch a fish that had money in his mouth. So I want us to get past this thing 
of believing poor old Jesus. Because I don't think that's the right picture of it. Third, if you look at in what Matthew chapter 2 and verse 11 says here, Matthew 2, 11 says, And when they were coming to the house, this is the wise men, they saw the young child with Mary his mother and fell down and worshipped him. And when they had opened their treasures, they presented unto him gifts, gold and frankincense and myrrh. Now there's nowhere in the Bible that says there were three wise men. We don't know how many wise men there were. There were three gifts. So we put on our little Christmas plays and we have three wise men because each one of them has a little gift and it uses a little gift, you know. We have to give what we have and so they give them a little gold colored box and whatever it is to meet the requirements of gold and frankincense and myrrh. But you know that is, that is not the idea that is conveyed in this. If you know anything about the Middle East and anything about Eastern culture, you don't ever go to see a king or somebody of authority without taking a nice gift. Remember what the scriptures talk about. That, um, that when they came, when they came to uh, Mary, <clears throat> came to the house, and they saw the young child and Mary his mother, they presented to him their treasures. I was reading, I was reading what a, a, a man in Australia who had done research on all of this, of these pre- presentation of gifts, and he said probably, probably those three wise men brought seven camels apiece. Seven camels loaded with gold, seven camels loaded with frankincense, and seven camels loaded with myrrh. Now that's not scriptural. That's something for you to chew on when you get mad at me for what I'm saying. But I want you to understand the Bible talks about your gift will make room for you. In other words, you would never go into a king's palace unless you offered a nice gift. That gift would give you entrance into the king's presence. And you think those wise men didn't believe that he was the king of kings and the Lord of lords when they had traveled all that long distance from the east to come to see him and brought with them their gifts and they presented them to him, and their gifts made way for them, and they could come into his presence. Glory to God. I think we are, I think we are low-rating the kingdom of God. I think we are withholding from ourselves the blessings that the Lord would have for us. All right, I want you to look again now in Mark chapter 6, verse 35 and 37. I'm dealing with the fact, was Jesus really poor? In our sense of thinking him being poor. Look at, look at the book of Mark, chapter 6, verse 35. Start there. When the day was now far spent, his disciples came unto him and said, This is a desert place, and now the time is far past. Next one, next verse, please. Send them away. 
that they may go into the country round about and to the villages and buy themselves bread, for they have nothing to eat. He answered and said to them, You give them to eat. And they say unto him, Shall we go and buy two hundred penny worth or denaria, which is a day's wage? Remember the, remember the man that hired the people to go into his field to labor and he gave them all a coin, a penny they called it. It was a denarius, which is a day's wage. So they're saying, shall we go into the city and buy 200 penny worth of bread? In other words, two thirds of a year's pay and give them to eat. Now look, they didn't say we don't have the money to buy the bread to give to the people. Wonder why Jesus said, you give them the bread. You reckon he didn't know what it was going to cost to feed the multitude? I'm sure Jesus knew what was going on because the people, the people would bless him and bless them and give them offerings along the way. I believe they had a treasury and I'm going to show it to you in just a little bit. And I believe that when Jesus said, hey, go ahead and buy them something to eat. He was questioning their faith. Do you believe that we're able to see this come to pass? <laughs> Glory to God. And they said, this is a desert place. Are we, do we need to go and buy 200 penny worth of bread and give them to eat? They didn't say, we don't have the money to do it. He said, shall we do it? Do you want us to take that much out of the treasury? That's what he's actually saying. <laughs> Amen. And I want us to get past this idea of poor old me. Because when you have a low opinion of yourself, you will settle for a lot less than you would ever settle for if you look at yourself in the right eyes and the right perspective. If I see myself as a drunk because my dad was a drunk and my grandfather was a drunk and I'm going to be a drunk too. You won't ever expect very much out of yourself. You'll be satisfied just to do whatever because eventually you're going to end up that way anyway. But what if you see yourself as a man of God or a woman of God who has been delivered and set free in the name of Jesus and you are no longer under the bondage of that curse that has been put on you, then you're going to expect a lot more out of yourself. Hallelujah! And you'll expect it out of your children too because you'll be telling them we are not what we used to be. We're not even what the rest of the family is. They're not serving God like they ought to. But as for me and my house, we will serve the Lord. I, I, I just think that is interesting. And I'm, I'm not doing this to confuse you. I'm not doing this for you to have any other thoughts except for the fact that I want you to see yourself in a different light. I've always, as long as I've ever been in ministry, and that's a long time, I've always felt that one of my primary 
jobs to do in pastoring the church was to lift people's eyes to a higher level. We can do more. We can be more. We can have more. This is what the will of the Lord is, that we must move up to a higher level. I'm not willing just to settle down in the doldrums of yesterday, but I want to move up to a higher level. Hallelujah. Glory to God. You know, Jesus said, you give them something to eat. They didn't say, well, let us use your checkbook. Give me your credit card. Jesus said, you give it to them. And then, of course, he had to show them the lesson that he wanted them to learn. It's not that you don't have the means sometimes to do what needs to be done, but it's that you need to back off and let God do what God wants to do so you get the message of what he's trying to teach you. Hallelujah. Glory to God. Glory to God. Hallelujah. Look at this. This is in John chapter 12, verses 4 to 6. Look at this. Now this is when Jesus is having lunch and Mary came and anointed his feet with this costly oil. Then one of his disciples, Judas Iscariot, Simon's son, I want you to look how every one of the people that you read about in Scripture, it follows their lineage. Wow. I'm telling you, he's Simon's son. I want you to know who I'm talking about. Judas Iscariot, Simon's son. Let me tell you something. What you leave to your family and what you put into your family is going to follow you long after you're dead and gone. My children will still be my children. I may not be around any longer, but they'll still be my children. And they're going to still remember the things that we talked about and how we love the Lord and how we were trying to be faithful to the Lord's work. That's what people remember. Our children don't remember that we didn't buy them the kind of shoes they wanted in the third grade. Our children are not going to remember what name is on their shirt they're wearing. They're going to remember how much you love them, how much you cared about them, how much you reached out to them. Brother, yeah, but it pops in, in and out. All right, I'm going to try this in a while. If it don't work, I'll grab that one. Thank you. But I want you to understand that many people think that you can't be prosperous and be a Christian. And I want that kind of thinking to go by the wayside because it's not true. All right, let's read the scripture now that I started. Then one of his disciples, Judas Iscariot, Simon's son, who would betray him, said, Why was this fragrant oil not sold for 300 denarii, 300 days wages, and given to the poor? This he said, not that he cared for the poor, but because he was a thief and had, and had the money box. And he used to take what was put in it. He bare, and you can read Dake's Bible or whatever, and he talks about 
Judas is concerned about taking money out of the treasury or putting more money in the treasury because it says he was a thief. He was taking money out of the treasury that he should not have been taking. That shows they had a treasury. That shows they had money to operate on. How in the world can you do the Lord's work unless there is provision there to do the Lord's work? Hallelujah. And it's a great thing to know. You don't have to be broke to be a Christian. We are wealthy beyond compare. Hallelujah. It's all right to live in a nice home. It's all right to drive a new car and a new truck. It's all right to do whatever you are able to do and give blessings to the Lord and praise to His name for He is worthy to be praised. John said that Judas suggested this because he was accustomed to taking out of the pot what he wanted for himself. Oh, I need to move on to the next one. The second one that we misunderstand, we think money is evil. Well, I want to, I want to dispel that belief real quickly. I want you to turn 1 Timothy chapter 6 and verse 10. 1 Timothy 6, 10. He said, For the love of money is the root of all evil, which while some coveted after, they have erred from the faith and pierced themselves through with many sorrows. He didn't say that money is the root of all evil. I've heard people quote that thing over and over. Well, you know the Bible says that money is the root of all evil. No, the Bible doesn't say that. The Bible says the love of money, the inordinate love of money is what is evil. He said, he said for it, it's something that we need to keep in control in our lives. There's something about prosperity and there's something about having things that money can buy that you have to keep yourself surrendered under the cross of Calvary or you will begin to decide your worth based on how much your house costs or how much your car costs or how much money you got in the bank and that is not your value, that is not your worth but you don't have to back away because you've got $1,000 in the bank today. Give God praise and glory for it because He's the one who has given you the power to enjoy these things in life. In 2 Corinthians chapter 8, verse 9, look at this. For you, for you know of the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ, that though He was rich, yet for your sakes He became poor that through his poverty, you might become rich. Well, preacher, it says right there he became poor. Sure he did. Everything in the Bible is about comparisons. Do you know where Jesus came from? Do you know where he was living? Do you know he was walking on streets of gold and gates of pearl? Do you know he was seated at the right hand of the Father all this time and he gave it all up to come down here in this earth and take upon him the sins of mankind? 
There was nothing wrong with him coming into the world and having it. Do you ever find that he had any need that it was not there and ministered to? That's what being prosperous is about. It's not about tearing down your barns and building bigger barns. It's being blessed so you can bless the kingdom of God and you can bless other people. Amen. I'm preaching better than you shouting, I can tell you that. But we need to understand that. Jesus was wealthy beyond imagination. And he became poor. When he left heaven and came to this earth, he gave up all of that. He became poor so that we then, through his poverty, might be made rich. So we're rich today. I'm rich. I just want you to know I'm rich. Glory to God. Hallelujah. I got a little bit of money in the bank. I got a few bucks in my pocket. I got a great and wonderful wife and children and family and a wonderful church family and a host of friends. Man, I am rich beyond compare. Hallelujah. And I don't apologize to you. I don't ride up to church on a bicycle when I've got a new car sitting at home so you think I'm holy. There's a lot of people whose idea of being holy means how poor you can be. And now, you know, if you're at that level in your life right now that you haven't grabbed hold of the promises of God and that's the best you can do, then you're still rich. But why do you want to keep on pedaling that bicycle when you've got a new car that is sitting at your home? You want to be able to enjoy the blessings of life. You say, well, I'm ready for that new car to be in my house. Well, amen. Praise God. You throw this thing in the trash. The nearest, the nearest place we can find has got a trash can put it in. I'm unwiring all kind of stuff. I'll have to start jumping and hopping and all kind of things in here. But we need to understand how important it is for us to understand where we're coming from. Now, I know this is not for most people a shouting kind of sermon, but I've preached hundreds of those. And I feel like we're at a point in life, we need to be instructed. We need to listen to what thus saith the word of the Lord. And I want to read all of the word, not just part of it. So I want you to understand that, hallelujah, that though Jesus was rich for your sakes, he became poor. So we know then that money is not evil. It is the love of money that is problem. The third thing that tradition has passed down to us is that it's not the will of God for you to prosper. And this is one of the things that we need to understand that when God created the heavens and the earth, he made them in a special way. Hallelujah. I want you to look at Genesis chapter 2 and verse 8. I want to go all the way back there. And the Lord God planted a garden eastward in Eden. And there he formed the man whom he, or there he put the man whom he had formed. I want you to see that now. It's in a garden. And the Bible says we always have the idea that all Eden was was just, was just a garden, the Garden of Eden. That's all it was. All right, let's go to verse 10 here. He says, And a river went out of Eden to water the garden, and from thence it was parted. 
and became into four heads. The name of the first is Pison. That is it which compasseth the whole land of Havilah, where there is gold. Has anybody ever seen that before in reading that scripture? We get so caught up in the idea of Adam and Eve in the garden, that naked man and woman in the garden, we forget to look at the next verses that said, In the garden, the river flowed and became four heads, and Pison, it encompassed the land of Havilah, which had gold. Why would God put gold in the Garden of Eden? I'm about to preach now, so get ready. I know I've been threatening that all morning. But get <laughs> Why would God put man in a garden that had gold in it if it was not God's will for man to enjoy those kind of pleasures in life? The problem was Adam and Eve messed up before they ever got a chance to see the gold. They never got beyond the place where the garden was, where the trees were growing. That's all they knew. But there was the land that the Bible said that there was gold and bdellium and onyx stone are there. Hey, he didn't tell them I want you to stay away from that. He said of all of the trees of the garden. Everything that this garden has to offer, it's yours, except one thing. You've only got one thing that you're not supposed to mess with, and that's the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. Everything else, you can enjoy it. So I want you to see, he didn't say stay away from it. He said it's for, it's for you, and the gold of the land is good, according to verse 12. Hallelujah. That's interesting. So we talk about breaking the curse of poverty. How do we break the curse of poverty? And it is a curse. And the greatest curse of all is in your mind. That, that you're never supposed to be any more than that. That you're never supposed to have money in your pocket. And a decent home to live in. And a way to raise your children. The biggest battle you have is up here. If you can get this battle up here straightened out so that you understand who you are in Jesus Christ and what the Lord has made provisions for you, I want you, to, I want you then to understand that you will move to a higher level. Charles Swindoll says, The person who chooses to increase understands that we live in a hostile world and we are engulfed with mediocrity, and, but we choose to live differently. This whole world is satisfied just to get by. Folks, that's why we need a different level of thinking. Stop thinking that this little government check is all I'm worth. It's all I'll ever be. It's all I'll ever have. It's all my children will ever have. And, and I want you to get beyond that kind of thinking. Whether you're drawing Social Security, whether you're having to draw welfare, or whatever the help process is. Understand, you are worth a lot more than that little check that you are looking to every month. 
understand you are a child of God and God has made provision for you to prosper and be in health even as your soul prospers. But it starts with thinking. It starts with how am I going to face this thing and how am I ever going to overcome this thing. Glory to God. I want you to understand and remember those things. Look at, look at Hosea chapter 4 and verse 6. Well, the same thing Haggai, or excuse me, Haggai chapter 2, 8 and 9 is the one I want you to go to. Haggai 2, 8 and 9. Look what he says. The silver is mine. The gold is mine, says the Lord of hosts. The glory of this latter temple shall be greater than the former, saith the Lord of hosts. And in this place will I give peace, saith the Lord of hosts. God says, I own all the silver. I own all the gold. And it's our Father's good pleasure to give you the kingdom and to bless you. Brother Dexter's been preaching some wonderful messages about the kingdom of God. What was and what is the kingdom of God. Hallelujah. God says all the silver and gold belongs to the Lord. And he will not withhold anything good from them that love him. Amen. Glory to God. That doesn't mean you're going to get rich overnight. But it means that there is a process that you can follow and you will prosper and good things will come your way. And you'll look around one day and you'll see all that God is doing. And all of a sudden you're living on a level you never thought you'd be able to live in. You're driving automobiles better than you ever thought you would. And you wonder how it happened. It's because you got out of the mindset of thinking you weren't worth except where you were. I want to tell you, he is the El Shaddai. He is more than enough. We need to stop worshiping the El not enough and start worshiping the El Shaddai, the God that is enough. Hallelujah. I want you to see that. Hallelujah. Glory to God. In Deuteronomy chapter 8, verses 6 to 13, let's look at this. Therefore you shall keep the commandments of the Lord your God to walk in his ways and to fear him. For the Lord your God is bringing you into a good land. A land of brooks of water, of fountains and springs that flow out of valleys and hills. Hallelujah. A land of wheat and barley, of vines and fig trees and pomegranates. A land of olive oil and honey. A land in which you will eat bread without scarcity. In which you will lack nothing. A land whose stones are iron and out of those whose hills you can dig copper when you have eaten and are full. Then you shall bless the Lord your God for the good land which he has given you. Beware, beware that you do not forget the Lord your God by not keeping his commandments, his judgments, and his statutes, which I command you today, lest when you have eaten and are full and have built beautiful houses and dwell in them, You're not building houses for other people to dwell in. And have built beautiful houses and dwell in them. 
And when your herds and your flocks multiply, and your silver and your gold are multiplied, and all that you have is multiplied, then you say in your heart, My power and the might of my hand have gained me this wealth. And you shall remember the Lord your God, for he it is that gives power to get wealth, that he may establish his covenant, which he swore to your fathers as it is today. Glory to God. God said that's the covenant that he give. <laughs> Lest you have eaten and are full. And you forget who it is that has blessed you through all of this. I want to tell you we got to break this curse that's on our lives. Hallelujah. I want to, I want to operate in the anointing that God has given to me. I want you to operate in the anointing that God has given to you. And it's not the same for everybody. All of us have different giftings and different anointings. But don't you shrink back from doing what God has called you to do because you have such a low opinion of yourself. Because your confidence is never in the arm of flesh. Your confidence is always in the word of the Lord. Hallelujah. And there is power in the mighty name. Hallelujah. Glory to God. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. God is your Father. Mark chapter 4 verse 8. He is not just the God of enough, but the God of more than enough. Hallelujah. And we need to see and understand. Other fell on good ground. Look at back up to back up to verse number 7. He said some fell among thorns, and the thorns grew up and choked it, and it yielded no fruit. Next verse. And other fell on good, fell on good ground, and yield fruit, and it sprang up and increased and brought forth. Some thirty, some sixty, some a hundred. Next verse. And he, he said unto them, He that hath ears to hear, let him hear. Are you satisfied to live where you've always lived? Are you satisfied to be what you've always been? Are you satisfied to be, uh, to be unsatisfied? Are you satisfied to be unsatisfied? Are you excited about where you are in life? In the Lord? Because these are some things that you can change. Hallelujah. It is your Father's good pleasure then to give you the kingdom. I got one more, one more little thing that I want to share with you. I want you to, in, in chapter 3 of Genesis, verses 17 to 19, I've got a, a lot of notes. I preach with a lot more notes than I used to preach with. Hopefully, it's a lot better than it used to be. But I want you to look in Genesis chapter 3, verses 17 to 19. Now, if you listen to this, it can change your life. Then to Adam, he said, because you have heeded the voice of your wife and has eaten of the tree of which I commanded you, saying, Thou shalt not eat of it. Cursed is the ground for thy sake. In sorrow shalt thou eat of it all the days of thy life. I want you to see this. To the next one. Thorns also and thistles shall it bring forth to thee, and thou shalt eat the herb of the field. 
In the sweat of thy face shalt thou eat bread till thou return unto the ground. For out of it wast thou taken, for dust thou art, and to dust thou shalt return. Keep going. In the sweat of thy face shalt thou eat bread till thou return unto the ground. For out of it was thou taken. For dust thou art, and to dust thou shalt return. One more. And Adam called his wife's name Eve, because she was the mother of all living. I want you to, I, I want you to see and understand that God put a curse because of sin. Man was cursed that by the sweat of his brow... He would eat. It didn't say he wouldn't eat. But he said by the sweat of his brow he would eat. And he said the ground is cursed. And out of the ground will come thorns and thistles. And the thorns and the thistles will grow up and choke the ground. And it's by the sweat of your brow that you're going to be able to make anything at all. All right. Swing forth to another garden. Swing forth to 4,000 years later. When Jesus was in the garden of Gethsemane, what did they put on his head? A crown of thorns. Thorns that came out of that cursed ground. They twisted them together planted them down on the head of Jesus and forced it down and the blood came out so that the curse of the ground was broken by the blood of Jesus Christ. Woo! Amen. It doesn't all have to be bad that happened in the Garden of Eden because there was a Garden of Gethsemane, hallelujah, that came 4,000 years later when Jesus prayed and understood what was going on. And when they twisted those thorns and put them on his head, he became the second Adam who, already, who always had authority until they messed up and then the ground got authority over him. And now Jesus said, I'm giving the authority back to you again. Now, hallelujah. <laughs> Do you understand what it was that made Adam become so cursed? God said, that tree of the knowledge of good and evil is mine. Don't you eat of it. Enjoy everything else that's in the garden. Any of the trees you want to, grab the gold out of the hills if you want to. Get any of it. It's yours. Just don't bother what's mine. And the reason so many people are in financial ruin and financial crisis, they're eating what belongs to God. 
The Word of God says in Matthew chapter 3, He said, You have robbed God. And they said, Wherein have we robbed God? He said, In tithes and offerings. He said, I want you now to repent. Repent, he said, and understand you can get this thing right. And I'm saying that many people today are living under the power of the thorns of the ground at the sweat of their brow because they're eating what belongs to God. And God said, the tenth is mine, saith the Lord. The tithe is the Lord's. If you don't give it to God, you're eating what belongs to God and you are under the curse of the thorns and the ground. Oh God, I wish I could preach this thing like I see it. But I want you to understand, if you give to God what belongs to God, if you won't withhold from the Lord what belongs to Him, you can have all of the trees of the, of the garden and the gold in the hills. <laughs> And the medallion that's in the fields. You can have all of it. You can have everything else that's in the garden. Just don't bother that one thing. God said, I'm giving you 90% of everything that you make. It's yours. It's yours. It's yours. He said, but tenth of it is mine. It's mine. And if you eat what's mine, you're going to suffer because of it. Because the thorns in the ground and the thistles in the ground are going to take authority over your life. And you're going to be struggling the rest of your life. Dear God. Whew. Man, a life I wish. Well, amen. Glory to God. Let's stand together. I'm going to quit. That's enough. Oh, glory. I want you to, I, I, I told you, if you would listen to this last part, it can change your life. Because you understand there's some things that belong to God. And you don't bother them. And if you eat of them, the thorns then take control of the rest of your life. Oh, you can, you can, still, you can have it all. But you'll be fighting thorns. You'll be under the curse of the ground. But if you give God what belongs to Him... When those thorns were put on his head and pressed down and that blood came out, hallelujah, he neutralized the curse that was put on Adam and the curse that was put on the ground, hallelujah. And now we have freedom in the name of Jesus. Glory to God. And we can bring forth abundantly. Give him praise and glory in his house today. Hallelujah, hallelujah. I've not tried to confuse you today. I've tried to show you another perspective. I've tried to let you see and think for yourself that the Word of God is the last word. <laughs> Sometimes we only read part of something and tradition passes down to us what they want us to know and we just take it and go with it. But sometimes tradition can negate the Word of God. But I want to tell you, if you honor God and give to God what belongs to Him, you can eat of the fruit of the land. You can dig the gold out of the hills. You can own the, God owns the hills and the taters in the hills. And if you're God's property and belong to Him, everything belongs to you.